Welcome to another episode of the Anti-Podcast where we talk with people outside the mainstream who have found success in their own way, creative thinkers, entrepreneurs, artists, you name it, athletes, someday. Uh, We're trying to cover the gamut. I want to know stories about people who have gotten to the place where they are and they haven't done it the typical way, the typical format, just riding on the rails of normalcy and mediocrity to where they are. I want to hear about people that have taken back roads, the roads less traveled, uh, hopped on a train, ended up in a city they didn't know they were headed to, landed, got out of that train, met up with somebody, and started their surreal, successful life. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's kind of what I'm trying to go for. Just a little stream of consciousness to lead you into this fifth episode of the podcast. Uh, My agents... I don't know. Is that a cool term? I know everybody has a term for their listeners, and I don't like the idea of anyone being a fan. I like the idea of interaction with people listening to this podcast. So uh, I think I'm going to call everybody agents, myself included. We're all agents for something, agents for change, and I like the idea of everybody being able to participate. So what's up, my agents? Not my agents. What's up, agents? Pure and simple, anti-agents. Um, I what have I been up to? I finished um, a giant tome of essays from Christopher Hitchens entitled "Arguably." Uh, is a big collection of a lot of Hitchens' work with Slate and Vanity Fair and other publications that kind of captured the unique uh, anti. I don't want to abuse that word, the contrarian point of view that he was so well known for. And uh, even though he passed away eight years ago, uh, some of the essays have still a particular relevance to everything going on in this day and age. And the way he just writes, man, is incredible. He takes, he writes in this very uh, verbose yet clipped way that you have to look up words uh, often, but you understand what he's saying and it doesn't feel like he is uh, the bourgeois when he says it. Uh, he just has a method of speaking right to you and, and and making you smarter for reading his words. And I've always enjoyed what he's had to say, particularly with religion um, and with figures that are typically held in esteem, such as uh Gandhi or um, Mother Teresa or the Clintons, you know, all of his writing regarding those kinds of people is very interesting indeed. Uh, I saw on the flip side, I saw a movie called Good Boys. It was funny. I can't tell if it was funny due to my state of mind at the time of watching it, (laughs) but um, they gave away way too much in the fucking trailer. And I hate that. But I can't help watching trailers because they're so engineered to be watchable. But in this instance in particular, they literally gave away everything in the trailer. Even the final shot of the movie is in the trailer. And I just thought that was a little bit ridiculous. So I did have a good time. I laughed until I cried a handful of times. But again... um, if I watched it on a Sunday afternoon after a spot of tea and crumpets, I don't know if I'd be laughing as hard. 
what else is happening, man? Weddings, birthdays. I've been went to a wedding this weekend. And, you know, I'm not a fan of weddings. Let's just get that out there. Weddings are <laughs> an exercise in futility to me. They just, you know, everything that surrounds a wedding, the invitation, the engagement photos, uh, getting your engagement photos taken, having an engagement party, then having a, a showers and bachelor parties all leading up to the wedding is just man, it's just way too much for me. I can't take it. Um, And so most of the time, I don't really like to go to a whole lot of weddings. I've been in enough weddings to kill a horse. I've been a groomsman more times than I have fingers. Uh, Not bragging or anything, because it's not exactly the best thing in the world, unless it's one of your close friends. I have to say that. If it's more of an acquaintance or something... Then you're just spending a lot of money and standing for a long period of time, cringing painfully while you're watching people say some archaic vows in front of people in a tradition that's already outdated. So that's my view on weddings. (laughs) I'm sure that's going to go over like a lead balloon with some people. Anyways, today on the Anti-Podcast, we have my very good friend, Kevin Brennan. Kevin is the owner and operator of Brennan's uh, the most unique bar, I think, in St. Louis in this neighborhood called the Central West End. He's also co-owner of Brennan's Midtown. It's a larger event space, uh, more towards downtown St. Louis. And he also has been the long-term owner of a brand called Durango Cigars. It is the world's only premium hand-rolled pipe tobacco cigars. And it's really something that he invented himself in terms of the idea for the product and how the product is formulated how the different um, blends are created, and it's very interesting using a lot of different uh, aromatics to influence the flavor of the tobacco. So he has a long and varied career. Um, He's been working for himself for quite a while now, and he has an understated way of making things seem, you know, no big deal. But he spends a ton of time perfecting these things, these spaces, these products in order to create um, a unique feeling and vibe that you can't really find anywhere else, uh, at least in this city. This conversation took place in the Beehive, which is the co-working area of his bar, Brennan's, in the Central West End. You do pick up on a bit of applause and laughter from the room next to us uh, and a little bit of the street noise from down below, but I really don't mind it and I hope you don't either. So enjoy episode 005 of the Anti-Podcast. It's all happening, right? It is all happening. Is that your slogan, your motto? Uh, it has been over the last couple of years, but it's more like an almost all happening. Or like a shit's all happening, potentially, yeah, depending getting... on the circumstance. Yep, <laughs> going backwards. Where'd it come from? Uh, I don't know, but Tina Fey just used it on an American Express commercial, which kind of pissed me off. I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> but it's going As a punchline, she used it? She used it for Amex. Like, she's having a great time spending money on her Amex, so it's all happening, I guess. <laughs> I just remember it being the slogan of our trip to Cuba. Was that two or three years ago? I have no three, idea. It was three years ago now. Yep. 
That's why it's not all happening. It was that was the kickoff of when it was all supposed to go down, and it's uh, sort of slow motion. A lot's going on, but it's like sideways, backwards, and then you know, gradually gets there in our own sort of way. What was uh, what? What were the intentions for you behind that Cuba trip? Because I kind of had my own intentions that didn't necessarily come full circle. And then I know you had something that you were trying to do with uh, your cigar brand. Yeah, I don't know, really. I kind of don't remember exactly because <laughs> we've gone over, I don't know, we've done a bunch of different things. But the gist of it was, you know, obviously like experience-based stuff. Um, Miami is a connection to Cuba and Cuba is kind of the end result and the capital of cigar stuff. So we figured if we could do things in those other cities, you know, it could be kind of interesting and cool for branding purposes and all those things. Yeah. But as you know, Cuba was like a little, um, actually it was pretty, it was relatively easy for us at that point in time. Now it's almost gone a little haywire backward as far as getting there. But, you know. Yeah, we should probably recap. So Kevin and I, Kevin Brennan, you're now listening to, and I and our friend Carlos Zamora, and his family and some other friends, Jordan and your wife, Denny, we were all kind of like a guinea pig <laughs> trip uh, prospect for a couple of different motives and intentions going down to Havana, Cuba, back when the travel restrictions were lifted um, during the Obama era. And I say guinea pig because the trip really was kind of us uh, trying to figure out what to do there, how to get to like a cigar plantation, uh, what to do in Havana, testing out potential activities, which may or may not have happened, and uh, a lot of sweat, especially for two white Irish dudes. I just remember it being one of the hottest damn places I'd ever been, especially we went in July, or was it June? Regardless, I don't it was remember. Hot. It was hot. <laughs> it was so hot. <laughs> we went to a boxing match in the city. Uh, it was hot. That yeah, that was probably one of the coolest experiences that we had was that boxing match. But it was you know, and you got these Cuban kids boxing each other at a hundred degrees, and we could barely even sit down on the bleachers. It was so hot, and we I remember like uh, I had my camera bag, and I had to fold that up to sit on top of it because. <laughs> The seat was burning my ass cheeks through my shorts. And I just remember being like enthralled by the visuals of what was happening and yet in, in, uh, in mild pain from just sitting there and baking. And do you remember going in there? We just, it like wandered oh, yeah. in off the street and it wasn't a building. It was like a facade that you walk through and then you got in and there's this like makeshift thing in there. And a it was lady a Coliseum, was, basically. Yeah, and then it was it was like wedged in between other buildings. And then when you got out there, if you don't remember, that lady was hanging clothing up to the left, the yeah. window oh, like of the other of building. Yeah, dropped down, which was really pretty cool. And then those kids were kicking the shit out of each other, just <laughs> pounding away. And we're sitting there. I don't know. That was... It well, was hot. I liked when we first went to the, you know, the Cuban Coliseum and the lady sees us and she's like, yep, come here, come into the back room because you guys have to pay. And then we negotiated a price and then we could go through Yep. and cook. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know, it I think it seems shady, but it was not really. It was just the way it happens, you know. It's I guess because it was so makeshift. Yeah, well, that is kind of a good metaphor for the whole trip, probably. Is that it seems shady, but in retrospect, I think it was uh, it was very interesting, and I think a lot of the stigma behind what Cuba is uh, kind of got what's the word demystified for me. And even now that the restrictions are back in place, I still don't think it'd probably be that hard to go, honestly. Because I think that there's all this hoopla about what you are and aren't supposed to do, and then when you finally go through and book your tickets and go, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, and I think there's a cultural thing to it, and then there's also, for work-related stuff, if we can tie that cigar component into it, Mm -hmm. I think it makes some sense. You know, we've been in the cigar deal for you know, forever. So I think there's a tie in there, you know, how long have you been doing cigars for? Oh man, 20, uh, this is our 25th year. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Brennan's, uh, 2000, 16 years at Brennan's, but mm-hmm. 25 years. This is, yeah, literally. That's crazy because, century. Uh, you know, when I first started coming to Brennan's, I thought of Durango as something that had uh, you know, come to fruition because of the uh, aspect of owning a cigar bar. But it was the cigars first. I didn't even know. I didn't even know that. Yep. Um. So how did you? What wh- before we get into Brennan's? Before we get into Durango, how did you find yourself in this industry to begin with? Going all the way back, like what was your? I know that you had some other career path that you thought was, you know, going to be your thing and then kind of disavowed that and and went full force into uh, the nightlife. Well, we just did. So I was li- I was in Chicago. I managed a couple bars and restaurants there, some little kind of nice dive spots. Um, Were you born in St. Louis? Though? Born here. Yeah. Okay. I lived up there um, and then didn't. Whatever I started doing some marketing gig for McDonald's, like a um, a company that worked pretty much exclusively for McDonald's, um, like uh, marketing in Oak Brook, Illinois. Yeah, okay. and I was commuting, and that was just brutal. So I didn't do that very long, and I wanted to do my own thing. I was, you know, in that bar restaurant business, and then I looked at cigars, saying this could be something that could work. Mm-hmm. They would grow, and I was kind of interested in them. I wasn't really a cigar guy at all, but I was interested in the, um, like something the uh, lifestyle of it. Uh, not so much the lifestyle, more the the interest in the product. And I think tobacco is like a weird, you know, that and liquor. It's like a weird industry. I think the branding behind it, the marketing, the advertising, all that stuff's interesting because it's these you know, relatively disturbing products, but then, you know, there's something about those campaigns. And, um, so just started researching cigars, thought it would be interesting, moved back to St. Louis and started wholesaling cigars. And that's what started my cigar business. And then I was kind of loading up on that, whatever equipment, you know, large display humidors and things of that nature in an attempt to do a shop, which ended up being, uh, Brennan. So, that's kind of how it got started. What was your, what did you do with the marketing firms? Um, like a copywriter I or was, account executive or? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was less good stuff than that. I don't, I don't know. We were, we were exclusively 
I thought it was an interesting job because there was a tie to McDonald's, and I actually know people that do stuff for McDonald's corporate stuff now, and I mm -hmm. also still think it's interesting. Like McDonald's is kind of the booze and smokes of the fast food world. You know what I mean? It's under like a lot of whatever. People are always laying yeah. into it, but I always think it's interesting what they're doing. And I'll go get a fucking double <laughs> cheeseburger meal every, you know, once every year and love it and then not go back. But the gist of it is uh, I. I thought that was interesting. I thought, you know, the marketing stuff, I had worked through college, whatever, at AB type doing stuff for them as a marketing rep. And so it was, I was like a simple, I was like a go fetch it, get it type deal. Okay. You know, it wasn't yeah. at a high level. Like maybe like uh, setting up cardboard displays and for specials and things like that. You really that. want me to talk? <laughs> well, I just <laughs> no, said, no. Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure. I So we would put together promotional items for McDonald's mm -hmm. and McDonald's. We were in Oak Brook. They were right next door. We would go sit in on their meetings on what they were going to do mm -hmm. and then kind of come back and say, well, if this is what they're focusing on, why don't we put these promotional goods together for their stores? It was kind of this weird deal, but they would, their retail stores would, their locations could order any of that promotional item from us. So okay. we were kind of doing branding along the lines and it was way back. It was like, not necessarily like campaign specific. Like it could have just been, no, uh, it was cause okay. they did, uh, this is way back, but it was like the Olympics and what was going on mm -hmm. there and how they wanted to position themselves during the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And then what promotional items you'd put together based on what they were doing. So I, I thought it was actually interesting stuff. It was just, I was living in, Chicago. I mean, it was a commute. I was leaving at six thirty in the morning, driving Jesus. an hour there, coming back at six thirty or seven at night. Coming probably coming back was an an hour, an hour and a half, just longer. Oh my god! And uh, yeah, it was just it wasn't in Chicago. It was cold and short. You know those. Oh, it's it's awful. just uh, yeah, it was a nice winter. But trying to connect the Olympics to McDonald's in the first place is uh, <laughs> quite the feat. <laughs> yeah, they, they were pretty good. They, I don't know. I, ironically, I don't even know why we're talking about this, but last <laughs> night, um, I don't want to... I don't. Tangents I don't, I are don't, welcome. Well, yeah, no, but I, I don't even remember what I was watching, but it was some TV show, and they talked about McDonald's in Barcelona. Like, you get a piece of... Uh -huh the u.s even though you're like in a foreign country that's got unbelievable stuff yet you still will go back to mcdonald's to get like that bite because it's a taste of home yeah. you know even even if you're traveling you know you might be like oh this has gone a little sideways on me you still yeah. need to get the you know the french fries and the burn of that coke or something so that's <laughs> that's what their message was it was like you know a taste of home that's interesting because i definitely have been overseas for a couple months at a time and then you know probably when I was younger wanted some sort of familiarity and definitely stumbled into either a French or a German McDonald's at some point but the funny thing is is that the menu items are not necessarily the exact same thing yeah well, there's uh, like a McFlocken or something well there's <laughs> just know? like a, a you know whatever the taste of the culture is that you're in there's going to be a lot of offerings towards that and have you seen their new campaign that's what it is They're yeah offering, actually you know <laughs> i forgot i did this but they had that world currency day and if you had any foreign currency you could take it into a mcdonald's 
and you would get the specials from other countries. And so I was just in Mexico earlier this year. I had some pesos laying around. So for two or three pesos, I ended up leaving with like a uh, weird chicken cordon bleu kind of sandwich with these ridiculously loaded fries. And I'm pretty sure that was the first time in a good 10 years that I've had McDonald's. And I, I felt like shit afterwards, especially with the D and like, you know, you just ruined the branding. By well, the show. Try, <laughs> trying to replicate what they do in France on the South Jefferson McDonald's in St. Louis is never going to come out. No, but how McDonald's <laughs> is that when you're out of the country, they're like, you need a taste of home. And when you're here, they like, you need a taste You'd of your vacation. Your palate. Yeah. yeah. Hey. I think it's pretty good. <laughs> so you quickly decided doing these marketing campaigns for McDonald's was not your, uh, you know, focus in life and just quit unceremoniously. Pretty much. And I headed back actually. home. Yep. And then how did um, you, did you have history with the bar industry? Because I know that you worked at a famous watering hole. Yeah, well, when I came back, I, yeah, again, going back a few years, but, uh, thank you. Uh, we're going back a few years, but uh, the gist of it, yeah, when I came back, I bartended at McGurk's, and then while I was doing my cigar thing, you know, I'm buddies with some of those guys down there, and... Um, so, whatever, that was my, I was doing that. Kind of initiation into that whole scene? Well, I was doing, I mean, I was just doing that five days, five nights a week, but then running my cigar business, you know, five or six days a week. And so I was just, Jeez. whatever. And, and uh, then I just did that and then weaned myself off the, the McGurk the shifts uh, over time until I was going to do, that I just did my wholesale cigar business full time and more you know put as much time in for that and then just kind of ramped up to get Brennan's going so what was the time uh, gap in between stopping working at McGurk's and then getting Brennan's up and running maybe two years okay something like that and yeah. the Durango was doing was it always called Durango it was okay there's some uh, yeah um, I'm just laughing about that because we were talking recently about the name and the naming rights to it and a bunch of weird stuff, yeah. uh, you know. So, but, um, you know, if that ever goes down in court, I think I've told you <laughs> I need to change. I might need to change my name to Daryl Arango and put a period after the D on the Durango thing. Oh my God. To prove that's mine. <laughs> but, um, that's a, yeah, that started then. Yeah. Uh, I think like literally like 98. Mm hmm. Appreciate you going back this far. <laughs> Wait, no, 98 was what? When we started making Durangos. I actually oh, okay. messed around with it before. Um, and we had a couple releases of that where the manufacturer was, you know, everybody's like, you can't make that thing, you know, because it's a different product. It's a pipe tobacco cigar. So they're like, you can't make it and whatever. There's just a bunch of, it, at that time too, the cigar business was really popular. So it was difficult to like, get somebody dialed in on making a specific product when they yeah. could just make anything and sell it. So for people listening, Durango is the world's only premium hand-rolled pipe tobacco cigar. Is that correct? 
But it's not pipe tobacco. That's the part I always mess no, up. No, no, it's pipe tobacco. It's got pipe tobacco filler leaf with long filler cigar leaf bound and wrapped in cigar leaf binder and wrapper. There it is. So, um, but that's whatever. Um, yeah, it's a, just a different product. So for a manufacturer at that time to make it, I had all these stories. Were they looking know? at you just like all cross-eyed, like, you know, what the fuck are you talking about, a pipe tobacco cigar? That, and it was just whatever. You'd call down there to the factory, and the, nobody would answer, and then yeah. they'd get back to you a week later and say, oh, nobody came in, it was raining this week, or whatever. So we've gone through, you know, or somebody just stole my uh, money and just didn't, never <laughs> delivered the cigars, you know. So, uh, I forget that guy's name, Sinclair or something like that. He still makes some cigars. But anyway, sounds there's like just a, a bunch like of... a thief. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, it w- whatever. Uh, there was just a bunch of weird things, you know. It's the cigar business, so it's kind of... Um, I don't know why it, I consider it, you know, weird, but I guess it's just you're just getting product in from some foreign country and you don't really have that connection or communication. Or at that time, we didn't. Now we do. But like at that time, we were just, you know, sending a check to somewhere and we were getting that product in or we weren't. So was there, you, you, they're rolled in the Dominican, is that correct? Yep. Okay. And so um, were you working directly with people over in the Dominican or were you going through a Miami connection? No, I was originally, we were doing that direct and that wow. was, and now we're real happy with the the relationship we have. I think you know, but they're, yeah. they're family it's there uh, went from Spain to Cuba. Then they came to the U.S. The, the daughter is in Miami. Mm-hmm. The father's on the farm in the Dominican and at the factory. And then also the son. Um, uh, you know, they talk about him going back and forth. I think he's primarily there. But the gist of it is, you've got somebody that's been living in Miami for quite some time and yeah. they're it's a really good connection and they're an awesome family nice um so for two years you floated after mcgurk's before starting up brennan's and you did that with your brother mark right yep initially and uh what was the how'd that all come together because i feel like they're you know i'm trying to uh, unravel some of the mystery behind brennan's because i think people kind of take it uh, for people that aren't from St. Louis, Brennan's is in located in probably the best corner in St. Louis, uh, at the corner of Maryland and Euclid in Central yep. West End, and it's um, it's hard to define. My first experience with it was like six or seven years ago, uh, and where I met Michael Eastman, who is a former podcast interviewee. And uh, Carlos Zamora, again, he kind of brought me over here. I had been here a couple of times before, but you just knew that there was a different vibe about it. And I told Carlos at the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a little swanky because I was used to, you know, South City bars, you know, spending two bucks on stags or, you know, five bucks on a really nice beer. And uh, coming over here when I was younger, it was just a bit outside of my, my paycheck. But then later in life, hanging out with Carlos and Michael and you, uh, I came to understand that there's a unique aspect of Brennan's that I think everybody kind of recognizes, but doesn't necessarily say, you know, outright. And so I, I, I want to know more about like, one, what was the initial idea? I know it wasn't what you have currently. And then how it slowly evolved into what it is today. 
Yeah, so it was just a, so I had all that product and inventory from that wholesale business, and I had all these display cases. I had this stupid loft, and they were all in my bedroom. (laughs) So it was like, you know, whatever, 30 feet worth of display cases and all this stuff, and I was like, I need a, you know, this will be good if, if I can have a store. And so that's what we did. We put that store in, but I used to go to places in town that were the best stores, but you you couldn't eat, drink, or smoke anything there. So I, I thought my idea was to get, be the store and keep it simple, mm-hmm. but then allow people to sample some of the stuff. And we kind of went about that a lot of the wrong ways, but s- something about it was kind of people liked the quirkiness of it or they walked in and they didn't really get what the place was. Yeah. But then they were like, yeah, this is kind of cool or I'll hang out. And then we had, you know, friends and neighborhood people who just started showing up over time. And then... Was there anything else in St. Louis like that that you'd seen in terms of like... Yeah, there there was a place, I forget what it was called. uh, had nothing to do with cigars, but they had beer and wine. And actually it's now uh, Tommy Schmidt's, uh, the place over Salt and Smoke, Oh, that okay. kind of had that feel before it was that. Oh, I forget yeah, what it was yeah. called. Um, that was a while ago. Yeah. It was before Salt and Smoke. It was uh, uh, that wine bar, wasn't it? Well, it was uh, his version of Franco, which I now am forgetting the name of it. Sorry. Yeah, I can't remember it either. Um, <laughs> but uh, all good spots, but it just turned into the place that it was before he took over that space. Um, that's going to bug me. I can't remember it. But the gist of it was, yeah, you could go in there and it was more like a store where you could take stuff to go. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If anybody's listening to this, they could probably say, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of, you know, there's other places that did that. But they kind of had some nice products and it was to go or for there. Mm-hmm. Um, again, maybe not the right setup and the right level of service that people want necessarily, um, which we've always, you know, it had levels of over here because it's a different type of operation. People don't always realize that, but it's it's just different. And so, but then people just started, uh, you know, showing up more and, and more. Did you only have the first floor when you first started? Yeah, we're on the ground floor. Okay. Yeah. And then how did the basement come into play? So the basement was in the next year or two, whatever it was. And then we did upstairs, you know, maybe in the third year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were all, it was just kind of dumb. I mean, you we kind of just wanted to do more stuff, but um, and we were busy, but it's an expensive neighborhood, and it sort of didn't make sense. I mean, we yeah. used to be in the basement, and people were, whatever, smoking down there, so the smoke would come up into the store, which wasn't the greatest thing. And then we did upstairs, but you needed a lot of, the upstairs was bigger, so you needed more people, mm-hmm. you know, so... It didn't really work. People still wanted to go to the basement, so the upstairs would be slow during the week, mm-hmm. and uh, whatever it, it was, you know, it was just it was just different and sort. It was working. People liked it, but it wasn't working at the level that it needed to necessarily work, yeah. because of the cost of the neighborhood and some of the other stuff going on, and undoubtedly some mis you know management <laughs> level there. I remember you had a really nice bar in the basement. Uh, me and my friend Matt Murphy, we shot a small movie or parts of a small movie down there, and uh, that that was probably nine or ten years ago. And uh, I just remember it feeling like a secret place in St. Louis. And I think that was prior to any sort of idea or concepts of speakeasies coming back. Um, I think that was my first kind of run in with the idea. 
and it was, you know, it felt hidden. It felt secret. It felt like a, a Barnia <laughs> yeah. to combine two things that probably shouldn't be combined. Um, and you went behind the counter to get down there. I think that's what people like yeah. about it, which is kind of whatever. Today you're walking into like telephone booths and, you know, and right, goofy like, shit. But they're, yeah. you know, but that, yeah, we ripped that out right when that became <laughs> popular. Know, yeah. <laughs> We're always like ahead, but behind the curve or something. I don't know. Well, I think that's combination. I think that's something that I've always liked, though, too, is that um, I remember hearing about like a place you could go to for special occasions. And that was the, did you call it the, the, uh, did you call it like the speaker room at first or no? It was always the Maryland house. The upstairs? Yeah. yeah. It was always the Maryland house. Yeah. Okay. And um, I, you, you had an uncanny way, and this was really pre any kind of social media awareness of uh, creating interest in the space here. Uh, just by changing things up or unveiling a new place. And it just kind of filtered through word of mouth. And so, you know, I think that that's, I always say that you're probably the most connected person I know that isn't on social media, uh, which I don't really understand. And uh, it's just that anytime you've made big movements in this space, people find out eventually because it's not necessarily broadcasted uh, quickly or, 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 or everywhere at once. And so like, what is that? What's that mindset in terms of, um, almost like an anti-marketing campaign? Probably a little combination. I mean, it's poor planning to some degree, but it's <laughs> like, it sort of has worked for us in the past, the past. So now we just kind of keep doing that. The other yeah. thing is, you know, it takes us a while to do stuff. We plan it. We talk to a bunch of people, friends, regulars, all sorts of people. People show up here, you know, a decent amount of people, so you can walk them into those spaces that you're working on and say, hey, do you think this would work, or we're trying to do this? And sometimes, you know, it's whatever. It's working for different reasons. I don't know if they go out and tell people about it or, um, you know, the, the word just gets around, but it's yeah. also... Partially because, you know, we, it took, you know, for example, when we did that beehive, mm -hmm. it took. Which we're currently um, inside of. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, whatever, it took probably eight months to build it out, which yeah. really didn't, it shouldn't have taken that long, but you're doing it a little bit on a budget. And so it took that much time to do it, but probably four or six months before that, we're telling people about it or mm -hmm. saying, hey, come take a look at this you think this would work yeah and so it's over a year's time you know half the time by the time we get done with a project people are like when are you gonna finish <laughs> you know when you use that space or not so it's not you know it it's a, like a combination of all those things but i think it sort of works for us because that the ground floor has been here 16 years yeah and then you're gradually building these other things people like that we um, you know, they kind of want to come back. There's a little storyline in today's, you know, if you today, it's like you're building it on Instagram and then it's done in, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, two months. And it's also like a, everyone knows of, what's happening. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's a little bit of a, it's not that it's fake. It's just a little bit more contrived, you know, mm -hmm. that they're, because they know that they need to do those things to tell that story Yeah, through those pictures. We're literally telling that, that story as people walk through, you know, like a little bit more of like a verbal deal and a face-to-face -face thing that takes more time, and then it just, whatever, you know? I feel like it, it works, though, because 
if you don't pull up the you know the skirt to show everybody everything that's going on, it also uh, gives a little more mystery to it. You know, like I think in the beginning of social media, it took companies a while to realize that like, hey, we should we should build up drum up some interest about what's going on. So here's the blank building, and then. Here's, uh, you know, the drywall's in, and now uh, the wood floors are in. And it, it almost kind of demystifies a place. Uh, and I think you guys have done a good job of doing the opposite of only showing things when they're done and almost ready to go, you know, especially with the newer place that you've done. Um, we can get to that in a minute, but I also just wanted to uh, maybe talk about a little bit about your taste and design aesthetic because, uh, I mean, you didn't go to school for it, correct? I did not. And is it just, uh, it, what is it a result of just being observant about places you'd been while traveling or a predisposition to, like, did your parents have good taste in interiors or something? Uh, yeah, no, my mom was doing all that <laughs> stuff. I mean, we used to eat from the lighting here. You'd know we ate candlelight dinner probably five <laughs> or six nights a week. It wasn't like a fancy dinner. It was just an automatic, the phone's off the hook. Yeah. And you're eating dinner and having conversation. So, um, but no, I just, um, you know, reminds me when I was in a Sprint store downtown uh-huh. and I was, whatever, I did, I forgot my password for my phone and they went through all this questionnaire type stuff. And then, you know, it was like a big line and everybody's like, what the, what's going on here? They can't, you know, it's like a pain. Yes. And they're like, what's your favorite hobby? Like I had filled out a questionnaire and I said, looking at magazines and they're like, that's you. So they, that's how they knew it was me. So I just like, I, uh, wait, what your favorite hobby was? I filled out their form and said, what was your favorite hobby as like a, you know, a code for to find out who I was to make sure I was who I was. <laughs> I was like staring at magazines, and they're like, "That's you." Magazine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just like looking at. Uh, so I just like looking at whatever. Uh, uh, half a dozen monthly magazines that I like looking at stuff, and it's like a you know, it's like a I didn't go to school. I just look at pictures type deal. Well, did you so travel lazy. quite a bit though? Yeah, I always love looking at places and seeing what people do. And when I, you know, I that's like a it's of interest to me just to look at places and see what things you know are working elsewhere. And then what, how could that change to make it work here? Because I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of that stuff does work here. I also yeah. look at some like nicer magazines too to see what sometimes people you know with a ridiculous amount of money will do and then dumb it down for here a little bit. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can't, and it's also not just for that reason, but it's, I look at it like, and I don't like a lot of those places because they're high end and then it's yeah. just, a, it's high end clientele. So I think you can take their ideas and learn from them, mm-hmm. but then make them work on a more casual basis. I mean, but we're still in the West end. It's still an expensive neighborhood or rent still through the roof. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can get some things that are here that are reasonable, but then you can also pay a lot for something that's expensive. So, so the fact that, you know, we can hopefully, you know, cover some costs there and do some different unique stuff, but still be like an approachable place or not seem like a a high end clientele. Would you, um, is there any like specific type of aesthetic or design error that you say that, uh, you would be drawn to specifically? 
because I feel like you got kind of a mishmash of things um, that all work together and feel, I don't know, familiar um, in a good way and that you feel like it's a place where you're comfortable yet also kind of stimulated by uh, the wallpaper or the table that you picked or, you know, like the natural lighting that you have let coming in. Nothing in particular. I like mix matching th- like what you're talking about. So yeah. you can have a nice piece of furniture next to a little shitty find at the whatever store. Um, and then just some different things, you know, some things that uh, generally, you know, that are different than what other places are doing. You had to kind of put your mark on it a little bit. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I like, you know, some whatever. I was just talking about somebody that works here that likes taking shit apart and figuring out how, how it works and I would never do that but I like sitting there thinking about this stuff so you you know you could just kind of you know work it up in your own mind and then kind of try to follow through with putting something together what um you know I gotta ask if being American Irish has any kind of impact in being a bar owner and operator uh and not really, because I know that, <laughs> I mean, anybody that has any idea that's listening to this knows that this is the farthest thing from a pub. But I got to say, in some respects, like the comfort of a pub in terms of dark wood and low lighting and good people and good conversation is here in some respects, especially like in the cigar club. And is that something that you've ever thought about in terms of like... uh I don't know, for lack of a better word, like an identity? Um, or is that just, no, nah, you don't think about it ever? Uh, what, the... Just Being American-Irish and like that oh. whole tradition of, oh, you got to drink a lot. And, yeah. Oh, you got to, no. you know, working at we've McGurk's. Never, and, we've, we've never had a St. Patrick's Day. We've been threatening <laughs> to have a St. Patrick's Day party. We never have. So we kind of, I don't know why that is. I mean, it's obviously an Irish name. I don't think it's had any impact, you know, uh basically whatever there i don't think there's a lot of perks to being a bar you know owner. It, it's something interesting about it you know free umbrellas and drinks <laughs> people leave a lot of umbrellas here uh but they but there aren't a lot of like good you know really solid benefits to it unless you like to the bar like, industry in general yeah i think yeah. it's you know a lot of hours it's uh can be a little ridiculous we talk about you know we we talk about what can happen here and now I mean, we've been talking about this more just because it's crazy. But if you, you know, if you have a party at your house or something, and it's fifty or seventy-five people come over, you look at the house the next day, and it's just <laughs> beat to shit. Yeah. And we'll have, you know, weekends now. We could have, you know, four or five hundred people per night on weekends, and you were in a hundred and something year old building. So there's nonstop. You know, it's it's like people think that we show up and we open the bar. It's more like you know we get here now because of the beehive. At, yeah. 7.30, 8.30 in the morning, whatever. And we're here till 2 a.m., not myself always, but there's definitely some full days in there. And, you know, there, every day there's stuff, I mean, you know, it's, equipped. It's it's just, yeah, it's just nonstop stuff going on. I think the probably maybe the initial allure, though, is obvious of, like, uh, having a place, you know, I don't know, like Cheers, but not necessarily Cheers. Uh, to where you can develop some sort of relationships with people, have memories, have good times, have your buddies over, get drunk a couple times, hang out. You know, I mean, I think that that's obvious, but you're saying, like, 
being in this industry now for, well, I mean, being an owner now for 15 years, that it starts to become more perfunctory and more just like a job. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's why we did, we're doing some of the other stuff we're doing. You know, uh, we're, I was, it was good for us to do that beehive space. It was good for us to do that beehive space because of, um, just because otherwise you're, you're just going to be that bar. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but I just wanted to do some stuff that though. was different. It allowed us to do this space, which, gave people you know we always joke that this was the home of the fake business meeting where people would just come and have drinks and have meetings but it was just discussions and then now we have real business meetings we've got like corporate people um so there's uh whatever there's a lot more of a business element to it all our business are the offices are all full um you know and now sometimes there's people in the conference room people in the offices, people in the shared space, people in the bar next door, and even in the cigar club, like doing work all day long. You know, mm -hmm. we hope to have people downstairs now too. Um, so it's, you know, some days there's only a couple people here and other days it's like really packed and going on. And so that was kind of, I think that's kind of cool for us because we can do that and then the bar opens next door. Yeah. And then it turns into that, you know. <clears throat> Well, I think that um, my first experiences with Brennan's and uh, Maryland House and the Cigar Club were interesting because it shifted uh, evolution in me going from, you know, these South City bars, you know, just your typical drinking holes to a place where you could have more uh, business and artistically inclined conversations. I distinctly remember one of the first nights here was with uh, Carlos and Michael Eastman and Tim Trotter. And it was a fascinating conversation, and you, uh, talking about St. Louis and what we could do for the city in all three respects, business, art, uh, manufacturing, like what could be done here to help raise the city on a national level. And I remember finding out about a lot of things that night in terms of like um, um, Cortex and uh, the whole uh, innovation I forget what they're calling it, but the 4440 uh, area where the city foundry is now being built and everything. And I didn't know about any of those things until I came here. And it seemed like the pulse of the city was taking place up in the cigar club and you could find out anything. There was people in city government, there was artists, you know, all sorts of people coming together to talk about this kind of stuff. So that's what that's what I thought was very interesting, and it was probably already a phase that you'd been involved with after getting out of the, uh, the uh, you know the the slugum and chugum McGurk's atmosphere, um, and which has definitely uh, transferred over to the Beehive, which we're currently in. We're in the far corner office uh, of this beautiful co-working office space, to where you during the day it's independent businesses and companies and then at night you switch it over to this idea of an event space yeah it is it's pretty interesting because you can um yeah i mean it we don't do much of like a transformation but you know the use of the space is different for different people and different reasons and we most of those people um most of the workers that work from here use this as a secondary office or an office um where they don't necessarily, you know, they're mobile. So they're, most people are 
generally out of here at five or six. They might go next door and hang out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But most of them are out, you know, most of the time. And then we can use it for different. I mean, this is, is pretty funny that this is, ten, you know, tonight you came in to do this because I was laughing about it. Because um, whatever, my friend Shiraz Gorman is in the conference room and they're using it as a storytelling uh, series. They're judging um, uh, some people doing some storytelling. Um, it's pretty cool. It's actually as a backdrop to Michael Brown scenario from years ago and how it affected different people. Almost five years ago. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so that's literally that's going on in that conference room next to us. The next room is, you know, there's someone that does, you know, some level of therapy in there. The next, they're two doors down. There's a, they're in that dead wax records room where they've got the little listening thing going. There's people on the other side with cigars. So it kind of morphs, you know, with, um, the bartenders doing their own therapy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, and then, um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting, you know? So it's like, a mix of that stuff, you know, where uh, kind of work and social stuff kind of collide. So it's been cool because you can do some funky one-off events, but then you got to be, you know, you, you might have a breakfast in the morning with, you know, a corporate customer, you know. Well, it's an interesting uh, idea to me, too, because I feel like it's more of a better balance compared to um, the previous years you know maybe during the crisis pre-crisis uh financial crisis and a little bit beyond towards just it feels like it's work 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 and in this setup it's almost like uh we prefer that you go home at five or six o'clock so that we can do our evening events here stop by the bar for a drink you know i i like that idea because it feels a little bit more um i don't know uh focused on not just work um, like come here, get your shit done, but also remember to enjoy life, uh, which is also related to your new space as well, which is basically an extension of the beehive it's more or less just on a bigger Pretty scale. Much. So you opened up Brennan's midtown, uh, a year, how long ago now? Got November. Okay. Yeah, November. <laughs> yeah. Eight or nine months. And that's, uh, basically the beehive, uh, on square foot steroids, right? More or less. Yeah, it is. It's a way bigger space, but it really it was uh, it was primarily we did that with the idea being, you know, we have space here for different types of things, but mm-hmm. we found that people want you know our bar next door is the Maryland House or our upstairs bar. That is a space that holds maybe fifty or sixty people, and people like that room for whatever reason, and you can do groups of 50 or 60 or on down to, you know, five, 10, 20, whatever. But we could never, you know, and then the beehive space is interesting, but it's all segmented into different rooms and offices. And I like that about it, but we you know, we're a little limited. Sometimes people will say, well, I want to do a larger event. And so that was the idea behind, uh, work and leisure down there. So, um, yeah, it was just to do that. And then also to do, you know, we talked a lot about doing business events here, and we do them, but to do an event in the Beehive that has a business um, angle to it, mm-hmm. you pretty much need to do that in the conference room, which holds about, I don't know, 30 or 35 people. So we wanted a bigger space to do some larger events, and it's pretty cool because now that programming, we're a little slow to get out of it. You know, it's the same old deal, but yeah, we're just a lot going on, and 
now we're doing more and more of that programming for that new space and you can you can really make sense of it on a couple different levels and it's pretty it's pretty cool to see what those events are and then what people think when they go to those events and you know a combination of that stuff so yeah i mean even with how you name things like work and leisure there is a uh, definitely a certain uh, dichotomy that I identify with in terms of, you know, having a, a, a marketing firm called anti-agency. And then also with like, uh, this is not a restaurant. It's like pushing two things together that is self-referential and saying it is a, a restaurant, but it's not, you know, it is work, but it's also leisure. Um, I, don't, I think it's a really interesting concept. I don't really know what to call it or what it stems from, but I know that we kind of identify uh, with that idea quite a bit. Um, and I think it's funny. Like, I, I, I wonder what stories you have from running a bar and a place of leisure and then forming a place of work and how people just react differently. Because obviously with a bar, you're going to have all sorts of crazy stories and drunks and people doing ridiculous shit and stealing things and, you know, probably grosser stories than that. And then on the flip side, I know that you also have a lot of stories relating to people being very specific and needy <laughs> with running a daytime operation. And so like, which one do you enjoy more? Do you, do you, has going into the daytime work business been, uh, altogether positive affair or does it have you wanting for the nightlife again how does that all work like, it, it, what have you learned about getting into the daytime business that you like and what do you not like about I it probably don't like the the early mornings of the daytime and the late <laughs> nights of the nighttime i mean in general that's pretty true i don't really like it's gonna sound a little weird but like i like the overlap of the two mm. so I think a six to nine, if you could, you know, uh, that happy hour. It's magic. Ish, yeah. It's a magical time. For <laughs> so it's not, yeah, I don't, you know, whatever. It's not, um, it, you know, we whatever. It's just dealing with a lot of different stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine that stuff at 7 a.m. or 2 a.m. Yeah. is a little more difficult to deal with, with oh, other than the late afternoon, early evening Well, slot. it's that golden hour of the day. Where yep. it's like you're done working and you're ready to let loose a little bit, but you're not going crazy. Yeah, that's a cool little yeah, and that's something we're working at at the other places. Like the I, you know, the I, I don't know. I like that. It's something in the afternoons where it mm -hmm. dies down a little bit, you know. Yeah. And people are whatever. Like if you go to a normal coffee shop, they're usually dead by four, <laughs> but that's probably because they're not selling any liquor. So, you know, it's, no, it's yeah. kind of like, um, that's still a good, um, like an interesting slot of time. And I, you yeah. know, and, um, we're trying to balance that line too. You don't want to serve too early or whatever. And some people are trying to get their work done, but it's a, I think pretty people pretty much, you know, they kind of walk that line with you. They get it. You know, it's like that last hour of happy hour. Cause I feel like happy hour is way too early start drinking four o'clock i'm still getting shit done right you know and then by the end of happy hour is when i'm finally starting to say okay i'm ready to shift into night mode you know start to relax a little bit maybe there's going to be another productive uh couple hours when i get home but 
at this point, I just want to turn off or meet some people or do something else outside of the emails and the texting and the phone calls I've been doing all day. Yeah, but I love, I mean, business stuff, you know, interesting business stuff is always like interesting to me. So I could, you know, I, a lot of times when I go home at night, I still keep thinking or working about that stuff. So it's not really like, well, I would say that's the majority of our conversations. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's also, you know, I think uh, a lot of it is, um, that's how we unwind too, is talking about future ideas. And of course, granted, they don't all happen. But um, I think a lot of them have uh, for the ones that we have talked about. Uh, that's something that I like in, wor- in regard to work stuff is that it's not that it's modern in the sense that it's like, uh, you know, like the future, you know, it's more like doing something different that sort of hasn't been done before. And then, um, you know, kind of, you know, even if you don't use all those ideas, they circle back around and we, we mess up so many things and we try different things and Mm. they don't work, but then they'll show up later, uh, down the road. We're like, remember that we did that thing and we have the template for what that was and it didn't work, but then it, we, you know, it just happened with that micro tobacconist journal with our old menu that was from here. You know, I thought that was a cool menu, but people were like, yeah, but it's kind of ridiculous. You know, it's this kind of this newsletter feel. And so we dropped that with a more simplified thing. And then we just use that original template that we had. We kind of morphed that back into that other thing. So even, you know, just doing stuff that's different, I think it's cool even when it doesn't work and you're like, man, I thought that, you know, it was going to work and it just did not at all but then you use it for something else down the road. Yeah, I guess when I was driving over here this afternoon, I was trying to think of, um, you know, trying to pinpoint some singular aspect of why I was attracted to this place to begin with. And I think it has to do with just uh, originality, number one, even if it's a combination of different things from different experiences that you have put into this physical location um, that didn't, exist in St. Louis prior to this. And then also any time that you guys have done, you know, if you think about uh, a typical bar trying events like or gimmicks, your gimmicks still have a kind of wink to them. You know, it's not, there's no karaoke or any shit going down like that. But like the events you've had, like arguments and grievances is a pretty original idea for uh, a, a, a bar uh, in the Midwest, but I think you, you're willing to try out interesting things that I think other places would be more focused on how many pictures they'd be selling. Um, and that has worked for you almost not even caring about that to a certain extent, just making sure that people have, uh, unusual experiences here. Um, like why, how did you start? What was like the first event that you had at Brennan's that was outside your normal realm of bar events? I don't really remember, but I, it was probably one of those early arguments and grievances. I don't know if you know that, but that started like 2004. Oh, wow. Like we started that, I think my brother, we used to have a big chalkboard and my brother and I just, we wrote on there, you know, Letterman Leno and you could take a piece of chalk <laughs> after you bought a cigar or a bottle of wine or something, walk out the door and you could just vote on it. Ironically, I saw that at Starbucks like two years ago, but the gist of it was like this, just an ongoing conversation of about a simple debate. So that started 2004. That's, 
kind of a crazy thing because people that left here, I don't know that we talked about this, but it's kind of uh, funny, but like people that left here went to do it in Denver, Chicago, Brooklyn. It's one best comedy show in Chicago. Do you know that? No, no. Yeah, one best comedy show <laughs> in Chicago, one best comedy show in Denver. There's like traveling shows to L.A., New York. Me? No, no, that's what, is it an on. official like branded thing. The no, it's just I, exist as this. That's what's yeah. That's <laughs> why I don't I don't officially brand anything anymore because somebody you know started. Well, I just feel like <laughs> Tina Fey or Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, I, everyone's just using it in some other country or you know somewhere else, and they're gonna be like, I've been using that. But that was part of the idea. I I like that actual name because it's such a ridiculous name that yeah. nobody's gonna pull that up. But, uh, yeah, it's just... Um, but, I mean, even when you've done, you know, quote-unquote, um, I don't know, more public-facing nights to get people in the door, they've still had a definite level of uniqueness to them. We're also fortunate. I mean, Zach Joviak does a lot of our branding stuff and mm -hmm. social media. does a really good job with that stuff. And he kind of gets whatever. The outsider kinda, mentality? <laughs> yeah, that and... Well, there's that, and then it's also... We have a lot of space and we have different areas for different things. Yeah. So we can do whatever we do for that Valentine's Day thing. We do like a nice dinner in one area for Valentine's couples. Yeah. And then we do an anti-Valentine's Day party <laughs> in the other area, which is, you know, right next to that space. So when those people get a few drinks and then they start going into those areas, they're like, what is going on over here? You right. know, it's like, <laughs> whatever. It's like they might be together at the beginning of the night, but they might be broken up. <laughs> yeah, or they might find somebody new or whatever. But the gist of it is, it's like you have smaller areas. You can bring in certain amounts of people to those areas for mm -hmm. different reasons, and then you can just kind of, uh, you know, just see, you know see what happens type deal. Yeah, I think um, Zach and you have done a great job of uh, doing that. I think one of the biggest obvious. Um, outward displays of that is the board downstairs. So if you walk into Brennan's, there's a giant black board and it's um, magnetic. And then you use these white letters to, they, they formulate these original sayings. I mean, I guess you could kind of think of like uh, uh, the church displays outside, or you can think of like the bar sayings on the outside, but this one's inside. And you let me do my own kind of art series there about four years ago. Uh, and it was really hard to write stuff for that wall because I think we kind of discussed this too. It was like, you're trying to have the attitude and the vibe of Brennan's while talking to people in the bar without pissing people off in the bar while also being unique and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, having just the right amount of attitude to make it memorable. And I think that Wall has done a really good job of communicating what your thoughts are behind running a bar in general. Uh, and, and I don't know if I, you know, I, obviously the podcast is called Anti, so it's like I'm trying to talk to people that don't have the, you know, I'm not talking to the owners of McGurk's, even though you're friends with them, because it's, that's more of a straightforward bar concept. And so you have found success by creating this non-straightforward concept, and that's what's interesting to me, because I think that people still identify with the mentality 
of not being uh, at the popular bar, yet, ironically, you've become the popular bar. <laughs> I mean, that, is that a weird thing? You know, because I, I know it's like, it's almost like you built a place for your friends and people that think like you, and then it also has become a popular weekend place as well. Uh, yeah, it, it is. But we, you know, I just walked out of the Maryland house and there's two people sitting <laughs> underneath, the, you know, next to the fireplace back there. There's no one else in the room. So Yeah, and, but and we could walk cigar. out and there'd be like, um, you know, 50 yeah. uh, young uh, uh, could, white dudes. A party bus might have showed up here any time. <laughs> From Clayton but, yeah. that are in the banking industry. Yeah, we get, but that's, you know, that can happen. That does happen every once in a while. But we also have this mix of people that I think oh, like yeah. balances out that crowd. So even if those guys show up, there's, you know, that couple next to the fireplace are there yep. doing their own thing. Or these other people are going to roll through at some other point. So it's not, I think it balances itself out with a good mix of people. We are, it is busier, but the neighborhood's busy. Mm-hmm. But it's still like, you know, people will say to me all the time, man, you guys have been so busy because it, it looks, you know, there's 30 people on the patio, but we have yeah. something close to 6,000 square feet inside. So, you know, 20, 30 people on the patio does not mean you're busy. Yeah. You know, we're busier, ironically, in the fall and winter. We're busy when it's cold and dry. So, um, you know, we want them to come inside for the most part. Well, it's got, it's definitely a cozy place. You know, I feel like it's Thank got you. that. <laughs> well, it's got that European, like, uh, Again, without being a pub, it's got elements of the coziness that you would find in a pub in London or Ireland, um, you know, minus the music or, you know, any kind of that. It's just comfortable. And I think that it's almost, um, what's the word? Uh, subconscious. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Uh, fucking awesome. <laughs> no, just subconscious that like, ah, I want to get in here and get cozy. And, you know, unfortunately, St. Louis uh, resembles the depths of hell throughout the summer months. And so I think that you have less of an inclination to go into a, a dark, cozy place when it's super bright and you're burning your balls off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sweating nonstop throughout the day. Um, so it does feel like more of the fall, winter, spring kind of place as opposed to a summer outlet. Yeah, we also... Uh, we never, uh, whatever we, you know, awards are funny. We won a bunch of different awards, but we never, we, we don't, we're not like a certain place. We're not like a right. wine bar necessarily. So we like always keep win. winning like hidden. Well, they <laughs> make up shit to give you like some sort of award. I don't know that, you know, they just want to involve us or whatever, but we want, I don't remember. I think sauce gave us this, but it was best uh, place for a nightcap, mm. which I thought was a good, we were still talking about having a nightcap series and maybe we'll do that at the other new place but yeah um like a party you could only get into if you were wearing a certain nightcap that would be in the invitation yeah kind of robe (laughs) uh i don't think that but uh some sort of something or other but the gist of it i no, and i'm appreciative of them giving us those awards when we are not a a set sort of place they'll sort of make some stuff up for us but um I don't even know where I'm going with this, but um, <laughs> the gist of it is, uh, you know, it's a good mix. People come here for different reasons, and I, I think you know that when you... And it's also funny because you don't have... Um, people are like, I really I really appreciate that you don't have any TVs because I come for a conversation. Yeah. But we have 13 
large screen TVs here now. <laughs> People do don't you? know. We do. They're all hidden or we don't use them ever. But or there's vintage, you know, video games in the basement yeah. or they're the um screens to present on in the yeah, beehive or there's drop down stuff so it's all put away but that's actually something we do well with so um we don't ever we hardly ever use them and then right. we do use them it's a decent place whatever for different reasons if you need to um you know you need a tv screen or yeah i mean somewhere that's to present or something that's rare in and of itself i feel like it may be catching on more and more is to uh, opt out of the whole tv uh I guess it's mainly sports uh, in in bar setting. I've heard multiple times that um, Brennan's is also extremely diverse uh, for a bar in St. Louis, and it's true. I I think that there's the most uh, mixed clientele, uh, racially and backgrounds and socioeconomically, like. They, I'm not. I'm gonna guess that wasn't intentional, but some of it is also based on the geographical location of where you are in St. Louis. Is that something that like kind of just happened? Yeah. Yes and no. It's like something that uh, I don't. You know, when we moved in down here, there was there's definitely like an interesting clientele base and. Whenever we do events, we want to invite all different types of yeah. people and backdrops to make those events good events. So we do work on that, but at the same, because I don't think if you go to any party, it's a great party if everybody looks the same, is yeah, the same no age in this whole deal. So we try to you know, do that, but sort of organically do it if you can and build mm -hmm. on it. And I think it's worked and people come here for those different reasons and different types of people. So it's it now it sort of, you know, has snowballed or works for itself, but we mm -hmm. still, if we have an event, we say, how do you make this interesting on these different levels and try to, um, you know, include people yeah. for different reasons. And, uh, you know, there's I think that's rare for, stories. I think that's rare for bars and venues in general, even if uh, the owners are super cool and inclusive, you know, in whatever way they want to be. Um, I don't, I still think that they know their clientele. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm cool with anyone, but, you know, we mainly get this type of uh, patron. Um, and I think, you know, part of the fun of walking into Brennan's is you never know who you might meet. And, and it kind of opens your eyes to the rest of the city. And, again, I keep saying this. It's not a St. Louis podcast, but obviously we're talking about a specific place in the city, so it makes sense to talk about the city as well. Um no, I've always appreciated that. And anybody I've ever brought here kind of feels, you know, especially from out of town, they feel like it's um, a place that they can identify with. And I think, you know, anytime you have any sort of expats from other places, uh, whether it's from a different city or different country, I find that they can identify with what's going on here pretty easily. Uh, and I guess that speaks to, you know, what you were talking about in terms of like trying to uh, include different feelings that you've had from different places that you've traveled to as well. And like you were just talking about, even with the workspace, we're having uh, a therapy session next door and a storytelling uh, on Michael Brown. So, you know, that's not your typical uh, fair for even a co-working space, I would say. <laughs> 
Yeah, but that's what's cool about it because yeah. they can come in and have a separate room that's lets them do their thing that doesn't have it's not a bar you know it doesn't have that rowdy bar aspect to it set aside they can do some work or you know do whatever in their case storytelling or do something that's interesting so you can kind of accomplish something that's tricky though because it's like you're still trying to represent this niche attitude basically of yourself and then also combine it with being um kind of a free-for-all and have the people that are here define what it's going to be that's a tightrope i think yep that's all <laughs> well that's all we always joke about that as soon as you get open it's not yours anymore you know the yeah. people you know those customers define it from on a bunch of different levels and that's why we keep working on other places because you got to keep you sort of keep moving you know when we did the ground floor i start hanging out in the basement and mm-hmm. when we start after that was done, I started going upstairs. Yeah. And then we moved over to the Beehive. Then we we're down in Midtown. Now we're working on this stuff in the Grove. So it's like... Do you just get bored you, with the space once it's done? Yeah, I mean, it's... Well, I mean, it's taken time to do it. The day-to-day stuff is... I mean, it's just, you know, it's that grind... You know, it's just doing it over and over and over again. I don't think it's anything that much different. It's just repetitive. Yeah. But it's like... Uh, you know, adding some element to it, which might be that next place or the additional room or doing those one-off events. I think that's, you know, it's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to, you know, to see that work. Do you yeah. ever, do you feel uh, comfortable in your own spots? Or do you always feel no, like you're No, I, I don't work? really. <laughs> I don't, not, I don't feel like I'm at work, but I don't, I don't, like, I don't, um, it's sort of weird to sit down. I used to do that more, and I probably shouldn't have, you know. And so, uh, I every once in a while I do, but now I just kind of keep moving and do stuff. Everybody here is like, you don't do anything anyway, so you know. But I'm, you know, I just. Uh, I mean, do you want to create that space where you still feel comfortable in it, or is it more so you're more interested in creating interesting and creative spaces? I'd want to, but it's you know when. It's pretty much when those people show up. I think yeah. you've got to give them that. It's a com, you know, it's a combination of things. You want to talk to them and hang out with them and greet them, but there's certain, there's still a certain level of service and getting them what they need yeah. or want, and then, and then doing that with twenty people or fifty people, and then you know what I mean. So it's some of it is uh, really, you know, is great, and then other times, you know, uh, you know, you always have some whatever. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely noticed a, a difference if we're hanging out here or if we've been on a trip, you know, to like Louisville or uh, Cuba or wherever else we've been. And But I still notice that you're paying attention to the places that we're going to to kind of see what they're doing to see if you can maybe potentially implement that into either a current space or a space down the road. So in some respects, I feel like I feel the same way that I'm kind of always working uh, or just filing filing away little tidbits of spaces that you go to, or little methods for how they deal with certain things. Um, what uh, so you got Brennan's Central West End, which is 15 years old now. You got Brennan's Midtown, and what's this place in the Grove that you were talking about? Yeah, we uh, bought a building over there at uh, Boyle in Manchester. It's a little divey garage thing, and. Uh, we're going to 
fix that up here in the next couple months and do something else. I don't know that it will be, op- ironically, it's kind of funny that we're talking about this because I just said <laughs> you open it up and then it's theirs. I don't know that we'll open that one up. That might just be for events because the Grove, I think, is pretty interesting how that's developed. And I saw recently there's like four or five, you know, we just did that Takashima thing for a pop-up dinner mm-hmm. with those guys. And I think that's a cool concept. Uh, there's a Soul Taco going on down there. We also just did Ben Groupie's thing yeah. for uh, at Work and Leisure where we hosted his dinners, and he's opening a place over there. Those are all dudes I want to get on the podcast. Yeah, they're, well, they're all those are all good spot. I mean, that's uh, Beast Barbecue just opened over there. I haven't mm-hmm. been there, but whatever. That's four good spots over there, and there's probably more that I don't know of that are all going in over there. So we started looking like, well, you know, it's an interesting deal. We have a reason. We have a couple different reasons to do something over there because we need some more space. And then we said, well, what if we just did something for cool events to do one-off things? Mm-hmm. So we're there during the day doing some different types of uh, work that we need to be doing. You know, having the space to do that, and then going into the night, you could use it for cool events as some one-off kind of funky original things. That again, we can't do here or in Midtown because that, you know, um, I guess you could, but it's a different look and feel. It's like a thousand square foot building on a 4,500 or 5,000 square foot lot. So it gives you, you know, maybe some, a vibe of, you know, just something in Austin or Louisville or something, you know, this combination of things that we've seen that's an indoor outdoor thing that could be Mm -hmm. kind of just different. So, and we don't want to be there every day, all day, doing that sort of thing in that neighborhood where there's, I mean, if four new places are opening, I think that's something you got to, we, we never look at a neighborhood like, well, we're going to do this thing we've already done before and go in and put that in there. Mm -hmm. I think you look at the neighborhood and say, you know, what could be cool in that neighborhood or what would make sense for it? Or how do you fill in that gap where, you know, there aren't those types of businesses or services and then do something along those lines instead of putting whatever the yeah. burger place right next to the other burger place, you know, right, right. you know? So. Yeah, man, I think it's safe to say that St. Louis is, uh, going through some sort of Renaissance lately. And, um, I don't know, would you agree with that? Or have you felt like St. Louis has kind of gone through this, uh, swing before, or is it different this time? I think it's better than ever, but I think there's, a lot going on and I, you know, little cautious on too many things going on yeah. at once because I don't think, I don't think the percentage number of people, you could probably fact check this. Density. And call me on it. Yeah. There's yeah. just not That's enough people think. moving here. And I think there should be, but I think part of that is because like the branding of the city, I think we've talked about that too, that, mm-hmm. that we're not branding ourselves really well. And that's what you got to do. A city's a business, and you got to do all that stuff. Yeah. And I think people would come here, but why would you come here if you don't like tell them, get in their face, and tell them why they need to move here? Man, it's it still so tone deaf. Um, you know the the uh, what is it called? The uh, you know St. Lou is. <laughs> mm. I can't remember the name. Of it. I guess it's the tourism board or whatever. Right. And. Uh, it's just so ridiculously out of touch with what actually is going on here that it, it, I do feel that it's a big missing component to the success of the rest of the city is fucking marketing the city on what's happening, like telling other people what's going on here. Um, so, yeah, I feel 
I do feel that we're in a renaissance and there's a big undercurrent of energy and capital and, and, and interesting people play, uh, starting up interesting spaces. But the city as a whole has not figured out a way to communicate that to the rest of the world yet. Uh, and hopefully they'll catch up. I just think it's uh, kind of a big learning curve. What, you know, I, I, we've been to Louisville and that's an interesting city too. I feel like that they have, I don't know, they, I feel like that there is, I don't know if they have the density, but there feels like more of a security in who they are in Louisville. Maybe that's partially to the history of, uh, you know, bourbon trail, whiskey, Kentucky Derby, racetracks, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't know. There is just this, I, I, I call St. Louis the eternal underdog all the time just because I feel like we're always trying to get a leg up on things and we almost get it, but we don't always. I don't know. What do you think about that? It, are there other cities that you find parallels in uh, in America that you think we could vibe off of or level up with? I don't know. I, I think like... I think St. Louis is pretty unique and original for a lot of things that they have, mm-hmm. but none of that stuff is really exposed and all the negative things kind of come out and that's a real big problem for PR. But I look at these cities, like I look at, I think Nashville, sorry, but I think that city's a joke in comparison to what yeah. St. Louis is. But I'll give them all the credit because they're getting tons of people there. People are moving there. It's doing that stuff but when you look at it it's not yeah that's not a thing (laughs) no it's awful (laughs) but they can say certain things about this city that are evident because of you know news reporting and i'm not saying those aren't factual things but i don't think that they have the bones of a real city and if you look at um even you know i think we've talked about who's the watchmaker uh, uh in detroit shanoa yeah, and why they looked at Detroit. Mm-hmm. Granted, that's a big branding play for Shinola, you know, Fossil slash whatever. You know, I mean, they're big watchmakers. But they looked at that and they looked at a city where people would want to buy a watch from. Is Shinola owned by Fossil? Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, they're the biggest watchmaker in the world. So they yeah. don't, they've just used it. But tr- Shinola are specifically American made watches? They have some like Swiss components to them and things. Oh, okay. But. I give that guy a lot of credit because he's whatever there was market research and he wanted to do something, but he's put a lot of money into that city. He's mm-hmm. created jobs. He's done interesting things and done, taken it on a smart angle. It's somebody that has a lot of money yeah. and that has put it back into that city to create some stuff that's really cool. Um, yeah. And it is, I think that's a key too, is that it is a cool company, you know, and mm-hmm. like Nashville has Jack white, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. You're like St. Louis needs, a band or a celebrity personality yeah. that kind of rep- it needs to be branded, you know? right? And you know, I would say currently we have uh, like John Hamm and Enterprise. Yeah. <laughs> and while those are both great things, not one of them are specifically like cool. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Enterprise isn't. I mean, Enterprise is cool, I'm but kidding. it's not I like. Was, a- <laughs> I was kidding. John Hamm's pretty cool, but John Hamm is cool, but he's not like Jack White cool. You know, he's not. True. He's an actor, and we yeah. have plenty of those. We have Kevin Klein, we got John Goodman. You know, musically, man, that's a big thing, uh, I think, especially if it's um, like somebody that's successful, last successful, really successful musician that we had was Nelly. And um, aside from that, 
there hasn't been much else. Uh, Smino is a new up and coming guy, but he's not at the, you know, he's not at the level that Nelly was. Yeah, I also think you can dig from those roots. Like that's why those people are saying Detroit's a cool city. Yeah, because it's it's a little disturbing. But St. Louis is disturbing for a lot of different reasons. But that makes you. Um, I mean, it's a real city. It's fucked up yeah. for a lot of different reasons. That was my original tagline for the city is own it, <laughs> which is like own all the bullshit. We, we talked about this, you know, mm-hmm. when we were in Cuba years ago. But it's like you're not, you can't fluff it out. You don't need to put that, you know, sweep it under the rug type deal. But you don't, that's not the only report that needs to come out about the city. Yeah, it's yeah. fucked up for a lot of reasons, but it's also awesome for all these other reasons. And so I think if we could do that, um, you know, and you can look at the, I don't know that it has, I, I agree it needs a new, a couple new faces, but I also think you pull from that, um, the past, um, and take a look at some of the roots of the city. And then you're going to be like, wow, this is, you know, when I look at those other cities, I say they have nothing to do. You know, they're not even close to what St. Louis has to offer, but yeah. then at the same time, they're winning out for different reasons. So I think it's just channeling that a little bit better. Is it just a mentality of like, or an identity of what St. Louis is in terms of saying, owning up to the the crazy shit or owning up to the bad shit. And then also moving forward with the positivity of what people are doing now. That and own it like property value, you know, literally <laughs> like we have so many properties that are fucked up in the city and then we there's potential here where you can buy an amazing property fix it up at a reasonable price i mean what i don't know i look at some of these other cities and i look at some what their property values are Mm -hmm. and i'm like is that thing really worth um some insane amount of money um you know uh in comparison to what you can get here so i just think it's you know um it's got a couple different meanings but the gist of it is like there's unbelievable value here there's unbelievable um history and architecture mm-hmm. there's a park system it's not you know this neighborhood to me is insane how much it's developed over the last you know totally um you know and and it's funny because you know our landlord here came in and they're they're the ones building the hundreds building out on king's highway and they said we bought that building they the people thought that the parking lot was <laughs> The value of a parking lot. And they said, we're going to dig that up and put that underground and build on top of it across from one of the greatest national parks, the largest national park in the country. It's beautiful and amazing. And we're going to put in a high rise and all those people are going to pay us for it. And they are. I think it's going to work. I think that's an an amazing building. Um, It'll be interesting to see where those rents lie, but they just, they know that they're going to be. You're talking about. Right over there by Forest Park. Right. Yeah. You know, right across from the Chase. And, you know, and those are the things that allow us to be a place that's great because the Chase is there, the hospital's there, the park's Mm -hmm. there, some of these other buildings. And that's where we get an influx of different types of people and people coming in for business or people from Wash U or SLU. So it's like, you know, we need to feed off that stuff that's really cool. To have two good universities here in the city. Yeah. That's a, I always look at those towns and say a city's cooler if you've got a university next to it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and then there's Cortex, whatever. There's a bunch, there's a million different things and you have this backdrop of these beautiful homes well, and these areas and all those things. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, not just a university because I think there's a, definitely a lot of, you know, college towns that aren't cool. <laughs> 
because that's all they are. But um, I was just in New Orleans uh, last month, and I always think of New Orleans as the cultural archetype of the Midwest. And uh, granted, it's much more Southern than what the Midwest is, but it's still in that whole, you know, Mimmel, the elf line of states. And uh, I feel, I've, I, I love New Orleans, and I feel that St. Louis is like a obvious sister city to New Orleans. And New Orleans has this vibe of where it's like, whereas Portland and Austin are always striving to stay strange, or keep Portland strange, or make Austin weird. And New Orleans is just unapologetically itself. And I think we have a bit of that. Um, not as much as New Orleans does, but we have a bit of that like ballsy, just kind of braggadocious, you know, yeah, history, culture, music, blues kind of feel to it. But then there's also this other half of bad shit that's happened, more or less. You know, it was beer and bad shit. <laughs> mm. And losing rank to Chicago after, you know, the World's Fair. Um, and so I think that stuff, I think um, the younger you are, you maybe try and say it doesn't matter. But the older you are, you kind of understand how the historicity of a place can affect it longer than you think. Um, and even being, you know, I, even going down New Orleans now, you still feel the effects of Katrina, even though it's been uh, over 10 years now. So um, I don't know what I'm trying to say there. I just think that places can have baggage too, and it takes a while to get out from underneath that baggage. I don't know. Yep. If you agree with that or don't, but. I do, and there's also that's part of the the stairway over here at Brennan's. You know that picture at the top of the stairway is from yep. Damon Meek, one of our buddies, and uh, that's kind of when we bought that. That was you know that Slum Beautiful STL dot mm -hmm. and he did that story, or he you know kind of told that story through photos on his Instagram account, mm -hmm. and Mail Online picked that up and called us the city of ghosts. <laughs> which we're still going to do an installation, hopefully in mail mid time. Uh, like London's largest, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Daily that, Mail. Yeah, yeah, and they picked that up <coughs> and whatever. That's what got him a whatever some insane number of Instagram followers. But the, you know, that artic article to call us the city of ghosts is interesting. You know, I actually think that has like a creepy connotation to it, but it's also like, um, well, that's something to build on. I mean, I think it sounds, you know, yeah. Well, and it's also. It's more, I would say Detroit is even more the city of ghosts than yeah. St. Louis for sure. But, you know, I think BBC did that feature on the Del Mar Divide, mm. um, which we're only, what, two miles from Del Mar. And I think that's even, uh, you know, that's uh, maybe more what we're represented of, of this kind of stark idea of segregation between classes and races, um, unfortunately. But, Again, you're, this space, I think, represents people coming together, like Shiraz, who's in the next room doing a story series on Michael Brown, mm -hmm. um, bringing all these different types of people together to talk about this kind of stuff instead of to just live with them. And that's the key to it is just having these conversations uh, over a beer or a cigar, if you like. So props to you on that. <laughs> uh, so... With the Grove space moving forward, do you want to keep doing spaces or is this, do you, you know, what's, what would be your ideal setup uh, 10 years from now? 
like more spaces in St. Louis, kind of owning St. Louis, or is there? No, that that'll probably be the last. I mean, I I would like so part of that I think is the last space that we'll own. Mm-hmm. We want to, you know, I think I've told you we, we have that um, whatever cigar. It's not a franchise, but it's a program to put in other places. So we want to design those for other places, and I think that will allow us to go you know, work on those places with other people, but not necessarily run our own place, you know, own separate things. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I think that it's, um, I have no, in 10 years, I have no idea. <laughs> I have some connection to Miami to get down there at some point, mm-hmm. you know, we we're hoping sooner than later, um, just for uh, some other things that have to do with the cigar business. Um, but we'll see about that. Um, but I, 10 years, I have no idea. Almost. Yeah. I've never been good at five or 10 year plans either because you know, it's always the unexpected of things that you can't determine what are going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And you got to kind of got to roll with it. Um, how is the cigar business nowadays? I know it's getting a little bit harder to, uh, uh yeah, it's sell good. cigars and like market them or, uh, our business is better than ever. Uh, whatever we had a, a couple of random things that happened recently that are kind of questioning whether that that'll be ongoing. But um, it's it's good for us. We're doing it's more of the same in that we're doing things that are different than what other people are doing in that industry, mm-hmm. and so it's been helpful to us. Ironically, that thing we started with pretty much dissipated. Due to a couple other factors, what over do you mean? Time. The thing you started with when we started our wholesale cigar business, that, oh, okay. that you know, yeah. uh, we slowed that is. down mm-hmm. in order to help Brennan's out and not make so much sense of it. You know, it's tough to run a wholesale thing just because the service aspect of it, having all that back stock and you know, put in a place and then calling on all those places. So we slowed that down a little bit. Now we're ramping that back up, but we have a different model that. I think is really was beneficial to those things. Like when you say wholesale, you you are selling Durango cigars, or are you no. selling cigars that you customize for a specific client? It was a combination of everything. So okay. we're always sold major brands. Then mm-hmm. we've always, then we later on we started incorporating our own brands, mm-hmm. and now you know more recently we started doing branding for other people. FDA is messing with that a little bit, so we don't know where that'll all turn out. But the gist of it is, what's the um, current like uh, feeling with or like what's the FDA trying to currently implement that could potentially? There, well, it's yeah, they're going to regulate everything. And what's weird about right. that with cigars is that there's different vintages of cigars. There's, you know, that tobacco changes over time. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, in this administration, it might not happen as quickly. <laughs> Uh, uh, we'll see. Yeah, there's been, that's what I mean. It was uh, ironically getting uh, some pretty strict limitations, and now it's like, ah, uh, back to, you know, whatever it is. Ironically, I don't, I have no, um, I'm like probably the only guy in the cigar business that doesn't it's not that I don't care. Yeah, I, it's not that I don't care. I, I hope they don't regulate it. You know, there's a lot of people saying, well, these younger people are smoking now because they were, you know, they don't smoke cigarettes anymore. Yeah. But like, dude, I, we've been making those cigars for 20 years and 
it's a cigar and now weed is being legalized <laughs> and we're they're telling us we can't make the cigar anymore yeah so it's like to me um i get it i never said it's good for you mm-hmm. i you know there's a lot of things in I'm, life that aren't good for yeah <laughs> i'm all for you know some level of all of those things but at the same time i don't um it, it'll be interesting how it plays out um but uh we'll see you've uh, any interest in doing anything in the weed space or is it uh so- no not really other than uh some level of design of some of those stores we've taken yeah. that micro tobacconist program we've taken a lot of um a lot of that direction's been based on the freshness of the product mm-hmm. and that's like a huge focus to us is to get to have the freshest stuff out there mm-hmm. and we built some dis, you know humidors and display cases and things of that nature that focus around you know the fact that tobacco's porous and it takes on these dominant flavors so we want to that micro word is relevant to just create small batches of individual blends and we yeah. might already talk to a couple guys in that the weed business about helping them with some freshness issues mm-hmm. that you know that we've already kind of captured with cigars so i feel like there is a big green rush in st louis right now with the legalization of medicinal marijuana and Everybody's trying to get their um, business plans ironed out and a lot of uh, uh, real estate acquisition for grow houses or for uh, synthesizers of cannabis. Um, are you are you aware of any of that stuff going on? I mean, are you friends with people doing that or a ton? But I'm you know I'm not in that business, so I'm yeah. watching it, but I'm not involved. And I feel just- so hectic. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I, you know, it's exciting, but as a business person, I think my uh, aversion to it is that everybody's trying to do it. And I think that there's got to be a better method than just trying to, you know, grow the shit or have a dispensary. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I don't know, from a business perspective, I think it's interesting to think about in terms of, like, obviously, I've, created a product that was in a well-defined industry that's doing decent. And I think you could do the same once uh, weed, specifically recreational weed, gets established to create like a brand or a lifestyle associated with it and then eventually integrate yourself into actually, uh, I don't know, making weed. Um, but it just, I don't know, it feels hectic and I, yeah, I like you said, I, it's not necessarily anything that you're trying to get into. And I think, um, I don't know, there's some kind of moral that I'm trying to make with that, with people rushing to get into something. Like, I have a lot of friends that maybe have a decent job and have made a decent salary, and then now this is their thing. You know, like they're going all into cannabis. And uh, to me, that's just like no different than the startup bubble. And I don't know. I think there's a benefit to focusing on slower ideas of business because <laughs> anything you, t- you try to build something that's, um, you know, trying to blow up, I don't ever think that that's a good idea. And I think you have similarly kind of, well, clearly you've been working on the cigar brand for 25 years and, and your, your brand, you know, your bar brand is really starting to become successful 
what do you think about that in terms of like when you started up Brennan's or when you started to do a new phase, were you, you didn't want to grow too quick? Like, because places can get really hot really quick and then kind of fade out of the public psyche. I don't know. I mean, do you think, think about at that time we were just trying to make money? <laughs> yeah. Get open and going. And then, you know, what I don't, you know, it was, we didn't really plan anything. We just, like, yeah. I think I told you it was kind of poor planning, but it sort of worked for us over time just because we stuck around and we hung out and we kept whatever serving up drinks or getting somebody a cigar or now getting them a snack or whatever. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's sort of surreal. I don't. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, but mm-hmm. it, you know, it also feels like it's been that long. <laughs> or you longer. Know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, no, I don't. I don't. You know, I don't think it's necessarily. You know, nothing was necessarily planned. Um, you know, but it's good. You know, you can also see. I think we've talked about this before. You know, with branding type stuff, is like you can see those new places that you know where you can, it's a benefit to us because we, you know, just been standing around for so long. So we've got the pictures from, you know, literally 15, 16 years ago or yeah, is it the weird? collection of books. In like, here is it weird can, to see that as you progress? Or does it just feel natural of saying like, this is uh, the history, the history of this place in specific? Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's good to see it cause it's out of the way, you know, we already <laughs> did it, but it's like, it's also like a little crazy that you keep, you know, keep going. It's just, yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's just, it is what it is type deal. It's good. I think I told you that, you know, when we designed that work and leisure place, it was off that, uh, Levi's photo workshop, mm-hmm. uh, that I went to like 11 years ago. I think it's been in New York yeah. and at Soho loft. And then, and it was, there was a thing that resonated with me that was in there that was a neon that said whatever the work may be. And at the time I was like, ah, you know, didn't think that was a great neon or didn't think much (laughs) of it, but it stuck with me. And now I kind of understand that a lot more, you know, it's just, it's just, there's a grind to it, you know, some things good, some things great, some things, you know, pain in the ass, but you just kind of keep going. So. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I think that's a, definitely how I operate as well because uh, to a certain degree I feel like I'm just kind of stumbling through things and learning as I go and then something clicks and works out and you just kind of stick with it until you can try something else or we feel confident to try another thing uh, I guess it's like apprehensive business mindedness more or less make money doing one thing and then eventually oh, I got enough money I can try something else which I don't even no, if that's a, a recommended uh, method of entrepreneurialism, but it's the one that I most closely identify with. Uh, what I know you read a lot. Have you been reading anything lately that you? Uh, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> no books. <laughs> no, I've been. Uh, do you do books on tape no, at all? I haven't been doing. I, I feel bad, but I haven't been doing too much. I mean, my whole, I remember, I'm busier now, and I'm like setting my timer like twelve times a day to remind myself to do stupid shit that you know. What's uh? Are you you wake up and just immediately start answering emails or? Yeah, I do. I you know <laughs> about you know like yeah, I get up early and not necessarily answering emails. I don't. I, maybe that's not a ton of my stuff, but yeah. I, you know I get up early. Start start 
going uh, an hour or two before I come to the Beehive and then mm -hmm. get here and do some stuff. And um, I'm hoping to spend some more time at the other location. Yeah. But things have been a little crazy over here, too. So it's like splitting that time. Um, and then, you know, we're starting to build out that other guy. So, you know, it's busy. But, I mean, it's obviously something that you enjoy doing or else I think you wouldn't probably be doing it. We the the thing we're doing in the Grove is what we were gonna do before we did Midtown, mm -hmm. and uh, now it's going back and doing that. So it was just a whatever. It was a combination of finding a different building that would work for different things, and so you know that's yeah. I knew I was gonna do that a long time ago. I've been planning that for a, you know an even longer time than the work and leisure project so i'm gonna get that out of the way here shortly <laughs> or hoping to when's uh like how do you deal with uh, taking breaks or extended breaks like when's the last time you took a good long break? i haven't taken one but i'm going <laughs> i uh i'm going to uh europe in about six weeks i'm nice. gonna take two and a half oh, weeks yeah. there yep. for uh italy right yep Nice. Well, yeah, start there, uh, go when, to five or six other places and end up in Spain. When's the last time you took a trip that long? <laughs> Two years ago I did it. I said, I promised myself every year I'm going to do this at a bigger, yeah. spend more time, but I I didn't do it <laughs> for a year or two. So I'm back to, you know, back to doing it, and I'm, I'm hoping to do that more, but at the same time uh, I get, you know, angsty. I don't, you know. I feel like you at the end of two weeks is kind of the period of when you're away for two weeks you start to uh, feel uh, like that angst like i gotta get home i got so many ideas i just came up with in the past week it's insane and then after you get over that two-week hump um which probably when i was younger was i would call homesickness but now it's more just like i need to get back to my schedule uh, after that is when you start to break away even further. And any time that you stay away after two weeks just compounds into uh, a real getaway. And so I think it's important to have that. I haven't had more than a two-week getaway in probably five years. Yep. Uh, but it's important, man, to just recharge your batteries. There's this uh, designer, Stefan Sagmeister, and every seventh year he takes off the entire year. And he goes somewhere else in, in the world and stays there or a couple places. I like that name, the Sagmeister. Sagmeister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's probably got beat up in school <laughs> a couple times. But, uh, you know, I that's almost a little too drastic for me. I, I'd rather just, uh, like you say, once a year, take off seven months. No, take off seven weeks instead of once every seven years. But there's also, I think you know as well, like you just said, you didn't go anywhere last year, so there's periods of sacrifice and periods of leisure as well. Um, I'm just, like, do you, will, you go, will you go stir crazy being gone this long? Or uh, No, I think there's a ton of stuff to do, and there's a bunch of yeah. cities we haven't been to, so I think it'll be, it'll be a great trip. I don't, I don't really know. I just, like... Uh, my wife loves the the beach deal, <laughs> and I go. You know, if I go to the beach, I sit there for you know thirty minutes, ten and minutes. Get out. Yeah, and I'm like, ah, what am I doing? So, um, you know, 
it's uh it'll be an interesting trip but i don't i i foresee it being a little bit like yeah you want to get back to what you're doing but Mm -hmm. i'm also trying to meet people at some of those different locations Mm -hmm. for that program that we're doing that micro tobacconist program so it it'll, it'll overlap a little bit hopefully with work to a travel thing and if i could pull that off that would be crazy you know yeah i think i've been in the same mindset too of traveling with intention and so uh i think uh, when you're younger you just kind of want to get away and then you go and sightsee and you backpack and you carry your shit on your back forever and then you get to a point where you're like why am i carrying all this shit with me and and then why am i i don't need to see uh the 500th church or cathedral in europe and then i've been in this mindset of the past uh, probably eight years of traveling with intention. Like if I'm going somewhere, I want to be doing something. You know, I want it to be either a photography project or linking up with craft breweries for snake bite, which would be similar to you talking to people about doing more micro tobacconist mm-hmm. kind of things. You did uh, that, the Puerto Rico trip. Didn't you do some of that? Um, no, in Puerto Rico, I was uh, helping out this local outfit and producing a trip for them. Okay. Uh, that was pre their devastation that they had on their island. Um, but no, it's just, uh, I don't know. I get bored too. You know, I'm another fair skinned American Irish dude and I can do a day at the beach. Uh, but then after that, it's just kind of like, okay, I'm relaxed. You know, what are we going to go see, do, uh, experience? I, I got to have some kind of uh, intention to what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, art, I think, plays a big part of that. But then, you you know, after your second or third or fourth art gallery or museum, you start to get this kind of, you know, like uh, glaze over your eyes of seeing too many of the, uh, too many beautiful things. Um, so I think business is great to do when traveling. I try and, and this podcast honestly has been an awesome reason to travel. Meeting up with friends that I think are super interesting and just being able to have good conversations with them that are, recorded forever in the annals of time. So I touched on this briefly. I want to touch on this real quickly again. How do you stay in touch with everybody when you're not on social media? <laughs> do you have like a little network I'm of not on so- I'm orphans not on that whisper level. to you? <laughs> I just, I do that. Every time I show you an article. Some yeah, think, that's true. You know, people, people bring up the stuff that's worth seeing. They point it out to me. So yeah. I don't, I just don't, see a lot of that stuff i'm just not on there i got really bad add so if i'm on there I did too, i'm yeah. gonna it's gonna be even uh, i'm already got you know problems just controlling well i think everybody does because it's you know i mean it's obviously been shown is the the addictive nature of social media and, and notifications and to a lesser extent you'd notice it even with text and emails and yeah. so i i try and like, and like silence all that rabbit shit. hole of looking for stuff you know you oh yeah you can still lose some serious time dude i do that with movies anytime i see a movie that i really like i'll hop on internet movie database start reading the trivia and then that talks about something else and then i'll go down another rabbit hole. i just saw uh once upon a time in hollywood have you seen that i haven't seen it we were supposed to go last week i want to check it out oh it's awesome uh i won't say anything about it then because i don't want to ruin it that's good well, cool. Well, I think that we've gotten uh, quite a bit of some of your biography uh, out of the way on this podcast. I look forward to just shooting the shit with you in future podcasts. 
and uh, just talking maybe more about current events, books, travels, things that are happening, uh, the new Grove location of Brennan's, which I'm looking forward to. Or is it going to be called any... It will not have anything to do with the name Brennan's. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Distancing ourselves. But, yeah, no, it'll... it'll Whatever. I'm sure to get you over there to check it out sooner than later. Yeah. And uh, I think you're a fascinating guy. I've always called you the uh, Anthony Bourdain of the bar world. I still think that there's something there for you to get into. You know, he didn't start doing any of that stuff until right about now. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think uh, television networks should uh, take notice. Might start come knocking. There you go. And have you uh, travel around the world checking out bars and interesting spaces. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? I know that they can't, but <laughs> would you just say uh, Brennan's website? Come to Brennan's.com. Come to Brennan's. Uh, you can check out the Midwest or the Central West End location. DurangoCigars.com is for that. A little bit of info for microtobacconist.com, but uh, and don't forget uh, argueandgrieve.com for our series. Which, oh, is it the website now? Well, I would like to challenge you right now <laughs> to not oh, debate against me, but you need to take a side on something, <laughs> come up with something in the future. We want you to debate in the west, in the uh, at the uh, the midtown location. I mean, it's kind of my whole vibe, though, is that I never take sides. That's that's your argument then, not taking <laughs> sides versus something being a pain in the ass, whatever it might be. Yeah, it will get you in there. All right. I know you're I a rapper. I know you're at different <laughs> levels of. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're digging way back. You trying to interview you went me back now? Twenty five years. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that out there. There's some skills there somewhere that you need to be in front of a couple hundred people. Uh, I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, well, I appreciate your time. I can't wait to get back on the mic here in the future and see what else is happening and uh, have a good trip to Italy. Will do. Thanks, dude. Yeah, thank you, man. Right. Cheers. There it is. It's all happening from beginning to end. It is uh, difficult to kind of put into words the magic behind Brennan's uh, and what Kevin does with just talking about it. I do recommend checking it out online or in person if you ever find yourself in the wonderful city of St. Louis. I look forward to talking to Kevin again in the future. He's always got a unique perspective on current events, things that are happening, timeless stories. Uh, he's great to hang out with, great to have a drink with and occasionally a cigar. Like we said, we're not big cigar smokers, but his is honestly the only cigar that I smoke because it doesn't make my tongue feel like a cat took a shit in it the next morning. You know, I know that's part of the thrill of being a cigar smoker, but I'm just not into it yet. Uh, coming up, I like that we got this one recorded and out in a week. That's what I'm going to be shooting for for the rest of the podcast. Maybe even quicker turnaround because I want them to stay relevant in what we talk about if we happen to talk about current events or what's happening. So for now, my fellow agents, this is Kevin Kelly signing off. See you next time.